This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. With the fall of Afghanistan barely minutes old, GOP members step up their full-cycle onslaught of President Biden, demanding his immediate resignation for his perceived reckless abandonment of our nation's interests, security, and values. Members of the House Freedom Caucus are the latest to take aim on Capitol Hill at the Biden administration. They tell me that they're concerned about getting Americans out safely and the Taliban's treatment of Afghan women and children. The demands from the extremist House Freedom Caucus serve as a prelude to a potential impeachment as lawmakers search for any way possible to embarrass the president hoping to exact from him a heavy political toll as they delight their MAGA base in tormenting him. Biden has been in elected office for 50 years. It's arguable that he's not of his, his whole and right mind. We are compassionate people, but we expect performance. And performance right now for President Biden calls for him to step down. On Tuesday, members of the House Freedom Caucus held a press conference outside the Capitol demanding that Biden, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Milley should resign over the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. The resolution's sponsor, Representative Clay Higgins, said calling for the resignation was the appropriate step prior to pursuing impeachable offenses, which have occurred. And Representative Lauren Boebert said that if there were any Republicans who have doubts about impeachment... No that you will be facing your own primaries. Freedom Caucus members Andy Harris and Ralph Norman have also authored articles of impeachment against Secretary of State Antony Blinken over his role in the Afghanistan withdrawal. And Biggs previously offered articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over undocumented immigrants crossing the border. Um, But what we're here for today is to remind people of the necessity to remove the leadership of this regime. I don't think it's worthy of even being called an administration anymore. They're operating as an oligarchical, oligarchical regime and that they need to be brought, under, uh, brought to bear. The impeachment resolution accuses Blinken of presiding over a reckless abandonment of our nation's interests, security, and values throughout the withdrawal process and blamed Blinken's failure to execute his duties in overseeing the evacuation of diplomatic personnel as giving rise to the U.S. troops' death on Thursday. I should try to come up with a scapegoat in the next few weeks. It's going to happen. Be ready, media. Be paying attention. Do your job. Do your job as the American media. Take off your DNC t-shirts, your DNC hats, get out your press credentials, go talk to your sources, and find out who's driving this debacle in Afghanistan and the Department of State. Don't let them get us, a, don't let them give you a scapegoat, guys. Don't let that happen on your watch. The Freedom Caucus reportedly discussed formally backing an impeachment resolution for Biden last week, but failed to reach the four-fifths majority needed to take an official position on the matter. And let us just convey to each other from the depths of our heart and soul that we recognize the failure of our executive and it's the right thing to do for the President of the United States to preserve some modicum of honor and to step down. If he does so, 
the constitutional process will move forward. And for my democratic brothers and sisters across the country, whom I strongly oppose in this last election as a Republican and a conservative constitutionalist, but I speak to you now as an American. Understand that asking for your president's resignation, demanding your president's resignation because of his failure causes the ascension of your vice president to the status of commander in chief and president of the United States. You put her in office, let's see what she's got. Okay, we can cut the crap for a second. This is all total bullshit. First off, these people are fucking insane. Secondly, there is zero path to impeachment. This is all for show. While their goal remains nothing less than Biden's removal from office and the restoration of Mad King Donnie to the throne, it is merely one more front in the right's escalating war against this president. From attempts to overturn the election to bogus voter security legislation, plus ongoing efforts to hinder COVID mask mandates, Biden's misadventure in Afghanistan serves as red meat for MAGA nutbags. Biden needs to be impeached. His entire administration needs to be impeached. And hopefully the one thing, the one I always look for a silver lining, Gene. Yeah. I'm so thankful that Robbie continues to share the positives of the martyrs, the blood of the martyrs that are going to be calling out yes. to heaven. That's right. It's going to unleash heaven. It's going right. to unleash Come heaven on. and war Come on, on behalf of the church. On behalf yeah. of all Christians around the world, it's going to ignite a passion in all of us yeah. to unite Come on. and never again let any corrupt leader like a Joe Biden, like a Kamala Harris, that put themselves first before the American people. If we unite, we'll make sure that we elect leaders that absolutely represent us. In their mind, Biden is the left wing, woke grandpa in the basement bent on betraying this nation at the behest of a secret cabal of communists, Jews, gays, and female soccer fans. And to scores of voters, he's not even the legitimate president. Woke doesn't work. Cutting and running doesn't work. Being asleep or senile or sucking on applesauce obviously doesn't work. The Republican calls for Mr. Biden's resignation, impeachment, or removal from office under the 25th Amendment are also a stark reminder of how much more polarized and toxic the country's politics have become since the start of the U.S. war in Afghanistan in the immediate aftermath of September 11th attacks when Democrats and Republicans alike united behind President George W. Bush. American carnage is a direct result of his inept and incompetent actions. Joe Biden does not simply have a pattern of poor decision making. His mental decline is on full display. Our enemies know it. Americans have witnessed it. His disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal proves even further. Our executive is in crisis. President Biden's physical inability to lead is not a political talking point. It is a demonstrable fact. Our president is not mentally fit to serve as president of these United States. After his defeat last November, Republicans clung to Donald Trump's America First line. They urged Biden to stick to the May 1st deadline, complaining when Mr. Biden extended the date for a withdrawal until August 31. That kind of thinking has kept us in Afghanistan nearly 20 years, said Representative Andy Biggs. 
This, of course, is the same fucking shitbag currently foaming at the mouth about impeachment. But as the Americans' final days in Afghanistan devolved last month into chaos, during which 13 service members were killed, these fucking shitbag Republican hypocrites who had once hailed Trump's agreement with the Taliban completely changed their tune. Suddenly, what was once a negotiation became a humiliation. They savaged Biden for negotiating with terrorists and denounced his avowed eagerness to wind down the American presence in Afghanistan before September 11th, calling it a sign of weakness. Biden failed totally on the pandemic, and he's now overseeing the greatest foreign policy humiliation in the history of the United States of America. This is the greatest humiliation I've ever seen. Biden's botched exit in Afghanistan is the most astonishing display of gross incompetence by a nation's leader, perhaps at any time that anybody's ever seen. Name another situation like this. The sheer hypocrisy of these people is beyond fucking staggering. This is Olympic-level scumbaggery. Some say it's evidence of an entire party driven to slavish obedience by a rabid, brainwashed base. Simply put, these MAGA fiends want Joe Biden's head on a stake. But that's giving them too much credit. They just saw a political opening for themselves with Afghanistan and capitalized upon it with zero compunction for shame. Remember when Kevin McCarthy admitted on live television that the sole purpose for the Benghazi Special Committee was to hurt Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential run? Everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, right? But we put together a Benghazi Special Committee, a select committee. What are her numbers today? Her numbers are dropping. Why? Because she's untrustable. Take note, because that is exactly what he's going to do to Joe Biden on Afghanistan. You can't trust Kevin McCarthy. On the top of that list of having no fucking shame is, of course, Donald J. Trump, who read the political winds and transformed himself from an ardent America first isolationist weary of foreign wars into a cartoonishly bellicose version of a warlord. Do you want to play with Okay. No. Say hello to my little friend. The ex-president, appearing on Fox Business, channeled Idi Amin, ranting about how he believes an unnamed cabal controls Joe Biden and shared his alternative withdrawal plans for Afghanistan, claiming that he would have won the war if only he had a few more months. The world deserves an apology. He gave it, he handed them a country, one of the be- now one of the best armed countries anywhere in the world with the best equipment in the world, better than our soldiers have. He handed them a country on a silver platter. He, he ought to apologize and stop trying to excuse the language, bullshit everybody into thinking that what he did was good. We should have withdrawn, but we should have withdrawn in a totally different way. With great dignity, it would have been a tremendous win for us. It's something that's rather incredible, he said. They, the people supposedly controlling Biden, do horrible things, vicious things. They cheat, steal, lie, but they can't do a simple withdrawal from a country that we should never have gone into in the first place. We should have hit that country years ago, hit them really hard, and then let it rot. Yes, El Duce. 
Trump was then repeatedly thrown easy meatball questions about how he would have handled the situation if he hadn't lost the election but failed to give any answers of fucking substance, merely saying that he would have won the war in Afghanistan if only he had a few more months. And they're trying to now the narrative, Biden got out like he's brave. He got out like a man that was just fleeing for his life. This is the United States of America, all over the world, they're laughing at us because of the way. Withdrawal is fine, but you withdraw with dignity and with victory. We had victory. They weren't doing anything at all, Todd. We had victory. They were, you didn't hear of one attack. Think of it, 18 months and not one soldier was killed because of me. Again, he never actually explains what totally different way would have resulted in this made up fucking tremendous win. He's a fucking sociopath, but you already knew that. Worse was his demonization of the Afghan evacuees who have arrived in the United States, referring to them as terrorists and criminal rapists. You have to find out who they are. The terrorists, uh, there's, I guarantee there's many terrorists in the lot. Uh, they already found a couple of criminal rapists that uh, came in. You read that story this morning. Uh, but many of those people, they were just running onto the planes. There was no vetting. There was no anything. Throughout the entirety of the withdrawal, Trump has been beset with a bizarre Rambo fantasy where he was killing, bombing, blowing up shit, and generally destroying Afghan civilization. Are you listening? Who are you? The worst nightmare. This is how Trump would have handled things, he seemed to be saying, while playing directly into the bloodlust of his MAGA base. Trump loves this kind of tough talk because he doesn't have to back any of it up with action. To him, it's all one long movie and someone else's problem to deal with. I'm gonna bomb the shit out of him. It's true. I don't care. I don't care. They've gotta be stopped. With Trump reversing himself as the withdrawal grew chaotic and deadly, it also showcases how allegiance to Trump overrides any sense of political hypocrisy or fucking shame. You can't be going out there and saying, this war was worthless and we need to bring the troops home in May, and now hitting Biden for doing just that, said Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, one of the few remaining Republicans with a brain and moral compass still intact. There's no shame anymore. I need some get back. And now for the main event. Let's face it, these people are fucking insane and it's really starting to piss me off that they have any input into the functioning of our democracy. Luckily, there are a few brave souls out there who act as the forward guard in our fight against Trump's awful agenda. They stalk his hotels and golf courses and follow his rallies, gathering crucial forensic evidence of the potential crimes and misdemeanors. One of the best is Zach Everson, whose work covering the Trump International Hotel recently got him banned for life from all Trump properties. For the past four years, Everson has been one of the most prominent voices covering the hotel as a means of rooting out deeper corruption and conflicts of interest, as well as understanding the power shifts in the wider MAGA world. Now a reporter for Forbes covering money and politics, 
He used to run an indispensable newsletter called 1600 Pennsylvania during the Trump years, chronicling all the sycophants, favor seekers, influence peddlers, and grifters who frequented the hotel to pay tribute, and I mean literally, to then-President Trump. According to Mother Jones, you could often spot Zach hunting for notable guests in the lobby or posting up at the very overpriced bar. He was at the hotel so often that he was on a first-name basis with the general manager. He joins me today on Mea Culpa just days after his Trump banishment, which quickly became global news. Over the next hour, we'll discuss the state of Trump's business, his foul dealing, and peek inside the weird inner sanctum of MAGA's holiest temple. This one's a fucking doozy, folks, so let's listen now to that conversation. Alrighty, so Zach... Your work covering the Trump International Hotel became a gateway for understanding the myriad of foreign entanglements, conflicts of interest, and outright corruption emanating from Trump and his family. Can you do me a favor and explain to my listeners how it was that you were banned from not just his property in D.C., but from all of his properties? Well, for the last five years, I've been reporting pretty much exclusively on the Trump Hotel. I had a couple of assignments early on before it opened for Fox News, uh, the travel section of their website. Then I covered it for Condé Nast Traveler and I, after he got elected. And I started wanting to document all the conflicts that could happen there. It just seemed like something that D.C. would sweep under the rug. Like at first it would be a big deal when an event or you know foreign embassy had an event there. And you know the second or third time, nobody would care. It wouldn't even make the papers. So I decided I was going to document this at first on Twitter. And then I launched a newsletter, 1100 Pennsylvania, that really got into that and ended up running that for about two and a half years, put out over 450 issues. And it would document like who was at the hotel. I would get on social media every day and look for who's posing for selfies there and put those out there and then dig into what their possible conflicts would be. Sometimes it was really easy. Sometimes it was a, you know, a member of the administration. Other times it was a little bit of digging to find out it was a lobbyist or a foreign government official that I wasn't familiar with. Well, let me ask you, first of all, is it legal to ban you? What, is that, what exactly did you do that constituted the determination by the supreme leader himself, <laughs> right, to ban you, not just from that property, but from all properties? Well, what happened was this particular time, I haven't been there in over a year and a half. I mean, just from looking at the photos on on social media, it was clear that a lot of the guests were not following uh, the best COVID practices. So I stayed away from there. But I had reason to go down recently. There was an event. Prices had spiked. The lowest price was about 2400 bucks, And I couldn't for the life of me figure out why it was so high. So I went down there to take a look around. And I walk in and I'm masked. I've got a hat on. I've even got a new glasses since uh, the last time I've been there. And I immediately see a sign that says Arrow Exterminators. And they're right in front of one of the ballrooms. I'm like, all right, we're good. That's who the event's for. I get a drink. I sit there. I have my drink. I look around to see if there's anybody else notable. If there isn't, I get up to leave, pay. Um, and as I get up to leave, I take a couple pictures just to kind of set the scene for myself. Not really of people, although people were in some of them. But just in case I wanted to go back and write about it later, I could say, oh, it was busy or it wasn't busy. And I have documentation for that to justify it. So I take those shots, go to the men's room. After I wash my hands there, 20 seconds, I uh, start texting my editor just to let him know, you know what's happened there. And as I'm standing there, the head of security walks in and takes a quick look around. I'm the only one there. And then he walks back out. So 
done with my text. I leave the restroom and I take a left, which will take you to the ballroom because I just want to see if the exterminators have booked that one too. And I'm about two steps in that direction when I hear, hey, hey, you need the, the exits this way. So I catch up. It's the head of security. And you know, he's like, we're going to have to ask you to leave. And I'm like, why? You know, and he's like, well, you were taking photos. Well, nobody knows better than me that it's okay to take photos at the Trump Hotel. I have, I have thousands of pictures usually taken by other people. Um, but then he elaborates and says it was for, you know, without our permission, which again, happens all the time there. And so as he walks me out the door, he informs me that the ban is for life. And he's standing next to the hotel's director of marketing. So I suspect, uh, you know, that had more to do with it than uh, in my, my previous work than anything particular I did that evening. Well, do you think that they knew who you were? Oh, absolutely. They know who I am. Um, and if they didn't, they carded me that night, which there's nothing about me that says under 40, even even masked, but they carded me. Um, the director of marketing had been a subscriber to the newsletter, the free edition. They didn't didn't pay. Several of the other staff members had. I mean, when somebody has a newsletter dedicated to the hotel, they're going to know who you are. Um, you know, usually when I go in there, the, the GM, Mikhail Damlencourt, would come over and say hi and chat. And I mean, they absolutely knew what I did for, for a job. Totally understandable. I, I actually, I really, I question whether or not it's legal. But do, did they actually take out an order of protection preventing you from going onto the properties? I think that there's an issue there in terms of is it public space? Like, for example, the bar area. That area is public space. First of all, Donald does not own the property. I want to be very clear, right? And you know this as well because you've been doing a ton of research onto it. It's owned by the United States government. It's why it's called the former old post office. It was an old post office, and he was able to obtain it from the GSA during the Obama administration. Now, I wonder if that there are any rules there in terms of who can and who cannot come in to the property under a GSA lease. Yeah, I've, I've had some people point that out, just wondering what the law was on that. Um, I haven't researched it at all. Because honestly, I figure just my presence there would get in the way of any reporting I wanted to do. So if they want to tell me I'm not welcome there, I will I will abide by that. Because I hadn't been there in months anyways. And most of my reporting of, of who's there has just been done online anyways. Well, that makes perfect sense. I do want to turn around and bring to you, obviously, to your attention that what you're referring to, of course, is the emoluments clause to which, you know, it started out going back into early 2020. Um, where they brought a um, a case against Trump. Actually, I apologize. It was directly after his uh, inauguration. They made first determination day. that he was already, first day, yep. that he was in violation of the emoluments clause, um, which does not, which prevents a president from benefiting financially off of the presidency. And then, you know, there was a very famous uh, article that was actually done by NPR in May of 2020, uh, it was entitled uh, Court Allows Emoluments Case Against Trump Over the D.C. Hotel to Proceed. And at that point in time, there was a nine to six decision uh, that was issued by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals that opened the the door for the government to um, get documents and financial records in this specific case. Now, the documents and the records that they were wanting, of course, was who was staying there. And one of the things that Trump had stated is that any money that was earned from any foreign dignitary, a government by staying there, that he was going to return to the government uh, in a check. My understanding to date is that 
not a single check has ever been written for foreign dignitaries, countries, and so on, uh, who are doing business with the government, including whether it's AT&T um, or any of these other big, you know, multinational um, companies. True? Uh, well, he had actually, the Trump organization had paid about 450000 to the U.S. Treasury for what it says are the foreign profits that it made over the four years. And it would do that each year. The first three years, the checks were over 100000 In the last year with COVID, it was only around 10000 uh, That most likely does not reflect their foreign profits. First of all, just their rules had all sorts of loopholes. The foreign guest would have to self-identify. Um, you know, and, and let them know, hi, I'm, I'm an ambassador to whatever country. Like, are you going to tell the bartender that? No. And if they're there, the last thing they want to do is get, you know, have the money not flow where it's supposed to. So they're not going to tip them off like that. And then, yeah, all the American businesses, the T-Mobiles and all of that, that's that stayed with the Trumps. Which is truly amazing. But what I thought was even more amazing is that right after um, the election, the 2020 election, of course, this whole issue now started to fall apart until ultimately in 2021, I believe it was the Supreme Court ended up holding that by Trump losing the president, he actually won this case insofar as that, you know, that he would not face any consequences for holding on to all of his various um, properties, hotels, uh, and so on, because he was no longer the president of the United States. So what a tremendous sort of strategy that is to file lawsuits preventing the government from exercising what constitutionally he is not permitted to do. And then by losing, he ultimately wins because he now is no longer the president. So therefore, the emoluments clause is no longer applicable. And that was by the Supreme Court of the United States. Not to forget that he put three people onto that Supreme Court. Right. Well, he I mean, you know it better than I. He excels at exploiting the legal system. I mean, even if he had been reelected, I'm not sure those cases would have been settled in another four years. As you mentioned, that that case was filed the first business day after he was inaugurated. And, you know, it was uh, the court system moved slowly. I talked to one of the lawyers involved in it, Richard Painter, certainly after they filed it. And I said, do you think this will get resolved within four years? And he said, probably. Well, not only did it not get resolved, like they never really resolved the issue of standing for two of the emolument suits. So there were there were three big ones, one filed by some government watchdogs, which was the first one. There was one filed by the D.C. and Maryland AGs. And then there was a third filed by some Democratic lawmakers. And the one for the Democratic lawmakers got tossed. It does say in the Constitution that you need the consent of Congress for emoluments. And the uh, the courts ruled, yes, that needs to be done in the legislature, though, not through the courts. So that one got tossed. But the other two were still in appeals overstanding at the Supreme Court and then just got totally wiped away. And, you know, this is the emoluments clause is something that there's very little um, – previous case law about whatsoever. So they were kind of figuring out as we go along. And as somebody who's been watching this for four years, you know, I feel like I got to the end of a mystery novel, only the last chapter's tossed. And the taxpayers spent a ton of money on this. And in, in, in some of those cases, we were on both sides of the, paying both attorneys' bills. You know, if, it, if it, for the Maryland and D.C. attorneys general, that's their state taxpayers paying it. When the Democrat lawmakers, that's coming from tax money. So you've got and he was getting defended by the Department of Justice. So you've got and it's, it's going through the courts. Yeah. It's I mean, really it, amazing. This 
this fucking guy gets away with everything. <laughs> it's really unbelievable. And and he gets away with it at the expense of others, whether it's in tax dollars or like myself incarceration. It's truly amazing. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that in the very near future, we're going to start to see some additional indictments coming down. And uh, like so many of my listeners, like so many of my followers on whether it's Twitter or Instagram, I mean, that's the number one question people keep asking me. When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When are we going to finally see this fucking guy be responsible for his own dirty deeds, for his own illegal acts? And I don't really know the answer. But something that actually you said to me that really struck me, which is how that they knew it was you. It had to be uh, the the employee that was marketing uh, in the marketing department. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Donald is notoriously cheap. And yes, they may have camera systems that are being recorded. Big shit. It's like, what, 10 grand for the most sophisticated time-lapse system that's out there? He does not have facial recognition programming. In fact, at the Trump organization, there was once a stalker um, uh, for Ivanka. And do you know the facial recognition program that they used? They took a picture of him and they basically hung it in front of each and every one of the elevators uh, behind the podium over there so that anybody that would come, wow. they would just basically take a look. They hung it all over the place. Of course, you know, in in um, in hiding, like inside the security booth, if you see this guy. But there were like 10 faces there mm-hmm. that they had on, you know, on this wall. Rest assured that the people that are working security at the Trump organization are not uh, law enforcement. They're not our national security, uh, our FBI, you know, our CIA. They have no ability within which to recognize you wearing mm-hmm. a mask with or without those wonderful glasses <laughs> that you're wearing. Thank you. Well, I, I should also disclose the bartender who was serving me, he absolutely remembered who I was on previous visits. It would go months without going there, and he would immediately pick up the conversation where we left off. Uh, he might have extra reason to remember me, though, and that once I was there with a, um Inside Edition undercover crew, and they ended up airing footage of me shaking his hand. So, uh, you know, if he became aware of that, yeah, he's probably going to remember who I am for quite some time. Yeah, because I promise you, <laughs> That there is no facial recognition yeah. system that's going to prevent you from walking in. Maybe what you should do is you should reach out to the folks over at Sasha Baron Cohen's production company. <laughs> Go in, right? <laughs> you know, like a Borat look or something yeah. like that. You know, I don't and have- that way if you have any reason to go into any of his properties, which I can't imagine why you do, but if you well- do... I, I don't have his uh, cojones to go in there and pull that off. I uh, I would be a trembling mess the whole time. But I have had, you know, a couple dozen people have reached out and said, like, hey, if you need us to go into the hotel, let me know. You know, and we're not just talking. We're not talking journalists. We're talking like neighbors, friends of mine, random readers. Just we're happy to do it. So, uh, you know, it was nice seeing all that support. Yeah, I can assure you that if I walked into any of his properties too, somebody would be immediately notified. I was going to ask you have, to throw have, me off to throw me off the properties. When's the last time you've been at a Trump property? Uh, pre my uh, incarceration, of course, but it would right. be somewhere around 2017. You know, um, before all of this nonsense um, started. You know, I was at the Trump Hotel when I went uh, the very, very first time. Uh, to testify before 
the House and um, the Senate Permanent Select Committees on Intelligence. Uh, it was the second time that obviously I was not welcome <laughs> to stay there. But um, that's absolutely okay. If I never step onto another tacky Trump, you know, property again, uh, then I'd be just absolutely fine. Hi, I'm Jared Goodstat, creator of the hit musical podcast Baron Banjo and founder of Audio Up Media. Did you know that we have a brand new fiction podcast out with none other than Stephen King? It's called Strawberry Spring and it stars Garrett Hedlund, Sidney Sweeney, and Milo Ventimiglia. And it's available right now wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a fan of Stephen King's legendary catalog, then this eight-episode series is right up your alley. And with Halloween just around the corner, Strawberry Spring is a perfect mix of suspense, fright, and mystery. Check it out today from Audio Up Media and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here. We've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, check out last Thursday's episode with investigative journalist and best-selling author Will Storr who joins Jordan to talk about social position in the status game. It's an absolutely fascinating hour on why we buy the things we do for reasons we don't realize. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show, like the July 6th interview with master pickpocket Bob Arno on how he spots a mark. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode on how to deal with corrupt and crooked bosses, addiction, brain chemistry, and so much more. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Zach, I want to ask you, is there an individual or entity outside of the GOP or certain PACs that spent the most money at Trump International to curry favor with Donald? Now, as a lobbyist or foreign group, was it um, that you could drop X amount of dollars and then that would put you on his radar? You know, How much was that amount, if you know? And how would it trickle up to the president, both in terms of money-wise as well as uh, knowledge? Was there um, a political director at the hotel who served as a middleman uh, or a gatekeeper to these two worlds? What did your reports reveal? Yeah, there, there were other publications that reported he was regularly briefed on who was there and took a, a pretty detailed interest. I didn't find anything either way on that. But if you remember, the Trump Hotel D.C. is the only restaurant he ate at in the city while he was president. So he was here frequently and he would always be greeted by the managing director. And you know, some lobbyists even said, like, of course, you're going to want to go to his property and diplomats as well. That way, when you 
see him, you could say, hey, you know, I just checked out the hotel. It looks great. And you'll have something nice to say to him. So there was no reason for them not to want to go there. Right. But how much? I mean, so you go there and you buy yourself a beer for yeah. $15, $20. You're not going to curry favor with Donald over a beer and $20. Mind you, I understand that there were significant bookings by, I believe it was Saudi Arabia that mm. came in. They took like 30 rooms, you know, uh, and so on at absolute top dollar more than if you went to, what is that, that, um, that website, uh, room deal, whatever the hell it is, right. you know, one of those dot coms where mm -hmm. you can get it for like one fifth the price of what I understand that they were paying. Um, right. How much was the amount? I mean, because there's no way in the world that it's going to be a small amount in order to get his attention. It had to be something significant or, for example, taking out one of the ballrooms or all the ballrooms for that right. matter. Right. Well, he had reported. So, again, I mean, our source on this is is former President Trump, but he had reported that his revenue, not profit, but revenue from the hotel while he was in office was about one hundred and thirty five million dollars. So that is the money that got up to him at the end of the day. Now, subtracting his his losses, you know, how much of that came from which different customers? We have no idea of attributing it that. But this is also a guy who famously once cashed a check for 13 cents from Spy Magazine. So. You can certainly make the argument that it does matter if you're going there for a beer. And, and customers certainly thought it would. There was a, a farmer and he was, he was in town for a convention and it was at a different hotel. But they all came into the hotel, into the Trump hotel lobby, bought a beer. And he tweeted, like, having a beer to support the president who supports us. So whether it actually. Yeah, but that's nah, that's not getting up to Donald, that tweet and so on. Rest assured, you know, he's going for the big money. You know, mm -hmm. when you're the president of the United States and you have all of these properties and all of these various businesses, the guy who buys the beer, yeah, that's great. Maybe he'll he'll like it so that the guy has something to talk about, which isn't even him. It would have been Dan Scavino operating right. his social media uh, platform. But he's going for the big money. And here's the reason why. When Donald became president, or actually prior to Donald becoming president, the same day that he descended on the escalator and made those racist comments against Mexicans, Univision, as an example, which has a property that's directly adjacent to the Trump Doral in Florida, they canceled all of their bookings. And they used to have like hundreds of outings, you know, of employees. They were right there. They actually even had Trump golf carts on their property so that they can shuttle back and forth, whether it was lunches and various um, uh, banquets and so on. So he lost a shit ton of money from the other properties as a direct result of all of his racism. And then again, remember, Macy's then dropped him with his, right. you know, with his clothesline and his ties and all of that crap, which, by the way, were made in China, not America. Um, you know, so here and Mar-a-Lago were the two moneymakers. And the moneymaker for D.C. was because it wasn't just Donald that was constantly there. It was always somebody in the orbit, Right. There were a couple of guys that um, were staying there full time uh, who were part of the administration. The kids were always there. One of the kids was there nonstop, whether mm -hmm. it would be Jared and Ivanka coming to grace the entire place with, you know, their presence 
or you would find Lewandowski, you know, roaming the area over there trying to pick up some business and bullshitting about who he was. You'd have Rudy Giuliani drunk like a skunk <laughs> on one of the couches there with either a bottle of, um, of white wine, uh, or, you know, um, a scotch, a bottle of scotch sitting mm-hmm. on the table. So you would always see somebody. And it was oh, almost yeah. like, um, you know, going to some of these restaurants in LA, like a Craig's. Right where you know you're going to go there and you're going to see Mm -hmm. somebody famous. And so a lot of the local bars and restaurants thought it was unfair what was going on, that they were taking their business. And that's when they filed that action, which, again, ultimately was dismissed because he Mm -hmm. lost the reelection, which is just an absolute absurdity. Yeah, I mean, you're right about who was there. And that's what I wanted to set out to document. And, you know, we heard the early stories about Linda McMahon and uh, Steve Mnuchin living in the hotel. And that's that stands out. Those are going to get headlines. But I wanted to get a day in, day out look at that. And by my count, there were 38 members of Trump's cabinet throughout his presidency who were Senate confirmed. I mean, that is just an absurd rate of support from his from his cabinet. And it reached out to Congress, too. You would find that six senators were spotted at the Trump Hotel or spent campaign funds there. And that's there were 65 Republicans to serve in the in the Senate during Trump's four years and over half of them. And the Democrat was Joe Manchin. Um, you know, he got a lot of support from those people, not just money. You know, Jim Jordan and uh, Mark Meadows were, were great customers. Their campaign spent tens of thousands of dollars there. But they also defended Trump in uh, congressional hearings. So the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee has oversight of the hotel's lease. And they would call in once the Democrats took control of the House, they would call in the head of the GSA and Meadows and Jordan and um, Mike Pence's brother, Greg, the three of them all would just stonewall throughout these entire hearings. And uh, Meadows and, and Jordan at one point even wrote a letter to some of Trump's banks saying they didn't agree with their Democrats, their Democratic colleagues request for documentation like the banks should keep that in mind. So, I mean, they, they went out of their way with their own official time to, to help out his business. It's truly amazing. Who were the two that didn't show up? Do you remember? Oh, no, it's 35 of 65. Oh, the two Congress. Oh, the, sorry. The uh, members of the cabinet. Let's go. So, yeah, at the cabinet, it was 29 of 38 showed up. And the ones who didn't show up or who I, I shouldn't say didn't show up. I didn't spot them there. Um, Mark Asper, Mark Asper, James Mattis. Eugene Scalala, Tom Price, Dan Coates, Nikki Haley, Gina Haspel, uh, Javita Karzana, and Wait, are you really going to tell me that Nikki Haley was never at the hotel? I never saw her. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that one. I believe I've seen her at other properties, but I had not seen her at the Trump Hotel, D.C. Yeah. All right. Well, well, she's missing out on a lot of tacky, (laughs) gaudy furniture. So um, I, I feel sorry for her. Hey, Zach, let me ask you this. Sure. Can you explain the mystique behind Table 72 at the Trump International Hotel's mezzanine bar and the standard operating procedure that goes into effect upon an appearance by the former president? Because apparently the protocol was written up by the Washingtonian recently. And I'm actually semi-aware of it, but I don't have all the facts. Oh, I'd love to know it. That that article is a fantastic read. They got some really great insight on that. I got to witness part of it once. I was staying at the hotel for this article I was reporting, and this was early on in the presidency, whereas if he was going to be in town, you had about a 50-50 chance that he was going to come to the hotel for dinner. 
on a weekend. I mean, he that cur- got curtailed later on, but early on, you had a pretty good shot. And I was coming down to go to my own dinner reservation at BLT Prime. And as I'm coming down, it's just frantic. Uh, you see they're, they're, pan- they're polishing the banisters. The manager's pacing back and forth. I mean, obviously, at this point, there's Secret Service there. I'm getting ID'd as I get into the restaurant. But you know, he would be presented with his... I believe it was the Coca-Cola they'd have to have ready for him at all the time. And table 72 was always his. There were very few instances where I would ever see people there. And the times I did, they were typically people who were close to the Trump family and looked to be just doing it for a photo op. Yeah, I, I actually sat at table 72. Did you? Which is why I, yes, of course. And the interesting <laughs> thing was when this was right after, you know, he had won and I went there to see him and I was in the, uh, the Oval Office with him. And that's when we were talking about the whole Stormy Daniels bullshit and, uh, you know, and some of the cases uh, that are pending against him for the sexual harassment. But I was staying at the hotel and, you know, I went down to have it and, you know, they, of course, they put me at the, um, at his table. And of course, I, it was known that in the event that they got word that he was coming, I would, of course, have to get up. And I said, mm-hmm. I'll bet you a hundred to one at the time that if, in fact, he showed up to have dinner, he would just tell me to slide over <laughs> because he actually likes, he liked my company. I can't mm-hmm. figure out why I like his, <laughs> nor can I understand why he liked mine. But we've had many a dinner, you know, mm-hmm. together over the years. And, um, this table was really very unusual because they used to talk about it as if it was like the holy grail that mm-hmm. you're getting to sit at his table. And I was like, okay. <laughs> N- Oh, no problem. I've seen the man in his tidy whities coming out of the shower. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that sitting at his table isn't going to be that impressive. You know, well, I talk about it in my book, Disloyal. I talk about mm-hmm. it in the chapter called Flip, Flap, Flop, you know, on, when his hair, you know, was wet right. and it was hanging down past his shoulder. Uh, so sitting at table 72 was not all that relevant to me. I didn't personally give a shit where I sat. I do have to say that the food is good there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I can I, understand. But I think it's one of the best steakhouses in town. I think it's one of the percent. It's, it's, it was great. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't write anything negative, you know, and that that was some people criticize that when I, I wrote about the restaurant and the food, and I thought they did that really it, the well. The food is great. Yeah. First of all, it's not them. It's Jean-Georges. All right. No, and no, Jean no. This George one is, um, one, this is David Burke. No, no. I'm sorry. Laurent. Jean this George. is David Burke. This My Burke. apologies. Yep. But David Burke, who happens to also be a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can tell you that, yeah. Oh, now, now Jean-Georges is going to get pissed. Right. So, <laughs> but David, um, he's an amazing oh, yeah. restaurateur. His restaurants here are in the city are phenomenal. I, I've known him for many, mm-hmm. many years, including his former. He is a great restaurateur. Oh, yeah. And the reason the restaurant is so good is because it's not run by Trump. <laughs> And mm-hmm. people have to understand that it makes no difference where it's located. He's just a very good restaurateur. But let me ask you this. In the time you spent staking out Trump properties and specifically the hotel, what's the most shocking, amusing or downright fucking ridiculous thing that you saw going on? You know, it would just be like a, a different thing regularly. Like I people would ask that, like I get that asked that question a lot. And you know, there's certain ones that stand out. There was the time I was in the hotel lobby with uh, Trumping Podcast, which is public radio. And we just picked that day because we there was a pro-life event that was going to happen there. And I figured there was a good chance Pence would show up. So we're just sitting there getting to know each other. And all of a sudden, this this 
entourage comes in and they're taking pictures and it's clear from the attire that they're from Africa. And so I start looking at trying to figure out who this person is. And it turns out it's Atiku Ububukar, the former vice president of Nigeria, who is now running for president, is the main opposition candidate and the election's 30 days away. So yet he decides his time is best served going to the Trump hotel. And I later find out that's because it had been reported that he was banned from the country for his involvement in a congressman scandal, the one that ended up with the $90,000 of cash in the freezer. Uh, This guy was involved with that and not allowed. So he got himself back into the U.S. and he wanted to show voters back in Nigeria that he could get close to the president, is what he said in an interview he gave Nigerian press. And that was it. He did it at the hotel. And of course, I'm mind blown by that. A few days later. Okay, so I see. Yeah, I see but let's another... just say that that's amusing. Okay, good, yeah. because I want you to continue. I want to know what was shocking and then what was just downright ridiculous, because I got a great story for you when you're done. Okay. Well, so what, what made it the next step was that a few days later, there was another Nigerian presidential candidate there. I mean, this guy was a long shot far down the ballot, but like it's the elections in a month and we've got two of these guys there. Um, God, you know, one, one of the there was the picture of uh, of, of Corey Lewandowski asleep in the lobby. I mean, that that's one that always stands out. Uh, just the sheer there's another one of Rudy um, Giuliani out front after Steve Mnuchin's wedding and he's in a tux and they're just wine stains all down the front of it. Um, that's that's another favorite picture. There's there's one of you we've got with uh, diamond and silk. Got a couple shots ah. of you there. Yep. Having uh, having cookies by the Christmas tree. Yeah. Yep. We did. We shared cookies and coffee. Yep. Um, you know, I don't drink alcohol. So, um, you know, we just had a, it was actually a wonderful time, uh, you know, with them, to be honest with you. And I, I I'm, I'm very disappointed in both of them. But that's for another conversation <laughs> at another time. And what was the most ridiculous thing that you saw going on? I mean, this ended up being a lawsuit, but there was so they opened the champagne bottles there with a saber. And you'll see that done in other venues, but it's where I've seen it. It's always been done outside. But they would ring a bell first to make sure everybody would be paying attention. And then either the sommelier or server would come and slice it open. Well, I was just periodically I looked through the D.C. courts to see if there are any lawsuits involving Trump. And there was. And it turned out it was filed by a woman who claimed that part of the glass from one of those things flew across the lobby, gashed her chin and caused her a visit to the emergency room and a lot of subsequent um, uh, plastic surgery. And then I found out she was also a Trump political appointee. And during the time the lawsuit was working its way through the through the courts, she ended up getting another job, which looked to be higher up, still within the government. And they, she ended up settling the case. I don't know for how much money, but that was just absurd. You know, what's funny is you talked about Lewandowski being drunk uh, inside or fast asleep. Right, in I said the lobby and so yeah well i'm gonna say drunk because one time i was coming out of one of my favorite restaurants here in the city uh bill bouquet i was with a buddy of mine and um his name is vincent and we're walking back because i live only about 800 feet from the front door of that restaurant and as we're walking past i see this guy stumbling on the street on 60th street mm-hmm. and i'm not paying any attention until we get shoulder to shoulder and i notice it's lewandowski and it's got to be now about 9.30, 9.45, give or take, and so on. So I yell at Corey, hey, Corey. And he turns around, oh, 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 and I'm like, dude, you okay? So he's like, oh, you know, I don't really know anybody, and I'm just bored. And, you know, I said, did you eat? 
So I take him over to Lavo, which is on 58th Street, mm-hmm. literally two blocks over as he's stumbling, holding on. And I start and I buy him a pizza. They have the greatest pizza there uh, and so on. And all he wants is to drink. So I tell the bartender, you know, over there, do me a favor. He wants like, um, I think it was uh, like a vodka cranberry. I said, just put seltzer in it. He'll mm-hmm. never know. Right. Just do it. Just do it that way. As he's sitting there with a pizza, slice of pizza in his hand, the eyes close and he's fast asleep. And I know in one of my phones that was taken by the feds that I finally got back. I have that photo. So with this episode, I'm going to fucking I'm going to post it because it is comical. The pizza is like hanging half in half out of his mouth. He's just he's meanwhile, I do have to give him credit. He was shit faced. And he was still in the office the next day at wow. 6 a.m. First, I, I give this guy credit. He mm-hmm. is definitively an alcoholic who knows how, you know, to knock off a hangover very, very quickly. But that was one of my favorite. And just the amount of cards, business cards, and the bullshit that would be talked about in front of the bar, you know, especially if there were women there by these men that are on the prowl. Meanwhile, their wives, <laughs> their wives are on the telephone with them. Hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. With Rudy sitting on one side, you had, you know, Corey running around with Dave Bossy chasing him, you know, like, you know, like they held, they held a book. Lepew. They held a book signing at the back of the lobby on State of the Union night. One of the, I can't remember which one, but after it ended, they they were back there signing books like a little impromptu thing. And yeah, I mean, Rudy yeah. Rudy was there all the time. I mean, he even had a plaque that he would put on his table that said like Office of Rudy Giuliani Esquire. It's true, he did. With more of our lives being connected over the internet, a lot of your personal data already exists online. Be vigilant in how you share information and help manage your digital identity. Avoid phishing scams, changing your passwords, and using two-factor authentication are just some ways to help protect yourself. You put your information in so many places online. Unfortunately, cybercriminals around the world keep finding new ways to steal identities. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Device security helps block cybercriminals from stealing your personal information. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock Identity Theft Protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats. Now, no one could prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses... But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock as I do, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off at Norton.com slash Cohen. Let me keep moving on, Zach. Mm -hmm. What's the current state of Trump's hotel business, by the way, if you know? And because it seems that the GOP fundraisers are the only thing that's keeping him afloat at the moment. Yeah, even that seems to have really slowed down. I mean, if you look at the money that he was getting early on there from some of these uh, some of these campaigns, I mean, we're talking five hundred thousand dollars from his the pro Trump Super PAC America First Action. Uh, You're looking at over two hundred thousand from Mike Pence. 
his pack and another $200,000 from Kevin McCarthy's pack. And that, that money is largely dried up. You're not seeing as much of it there. I just looked recently, I think through the last, through this cycle so far, ProPublica's got it at just like $660,000 worth of campaign spending. So that's, that's drying up. The government spending is obviously uh, not happening anymore. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine that Joe Biden's gonna, gonna book the Trump hotel for anything anytime soon. Um, and just anecdotally, just looking at it on social media, you know, back in, back in its heyday, I would get up and it would take me hours to go through all the photos that were geotagged to the property on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all sorts of places. And now you could go days and there are no pictures from guests. You know, it might be the, the staff posting some pictures and you don't see that. And obviously, you know, there's COVID. You got to factor that in there. But the hotel was kind of in decline even before COVID hit. We'd see some embassies would be would have events that would be one and done. Um, same with some corporate clients. You weren't seeing a lot of a lot of repeat business from these groups. Wait, wait, Zach, are you telling me that they're respecting COVID rules at the hotel? I'm telling you that the COVID is keeping people away from the hotel. Um, when I was there, when I got tossed last week, there were more people wearing masks than I expected to be but far fewer than should have been wearing masks. And there was no shortage of pictures during COVID of events at the hotel that seemed to be breaking COVID protocol. I mean, there was a wedding that I just counted the, the place sittings at, and it was clearly more than what DC was allowing at the room at the time. Yeah, because I can't imagine that the hotel would, you know, be in contrast with Donald's belief system that, you know, science isn't real, this coronavirus isn't real, that this is nothing more than a glorified flu, and that, yeah, people die from the flu. So I can't imagine that Mikhail, the, the general manager, would go against, you know, the supreme leader. But you know what's interesting is I do know people who um, are having events at various different Trump properties, whether it's at the ballroom of Mar-a-Lago or um, the Doral or even, you know, at D.C. But what's interesting, like one of them is a wedding. And I know many people who were invited. And I can tell you that a whole slew of them have said to me, we're not going. I won't step foot on a Trump. So for me, I just think, you know, whether you're the bride or the groom, this is probably one of the worst places to go because, I mean, unless you're going to have a Klan rally there, I can't imagine you getting a lot of positive RSVPs, you know, and it's I may be a supporter, but my wife is not. And she says, we're not going. Well, she is the CEO of the household, right? We're not going. Mm -hmm. Well, Stephen Miller got married there. And there were articles shortly after his wedding there that it caused a problem with one of his uncles who did not want anything to do with this place. So you're even seeing it with the high profile Trump politicals. Yeah, that's the same uncle that said he wanted nothing to do with Steve Miller, that he finds him to be, which is hard to imagine because Steve Miller is Jewish, that he's an anti-Semite and a racist. Mm -hmm. And that's not how they, you know, that he grew up. That's not the values that his family has. And by the way, I can't imagine the fact that Steve Miller actually got married. The fuck would marry that stupid, <laughs> stupid, racist, misogynistic, you know, anti-Semite, Islamophobe. I mean, that's just who he is. Some of the shit that he used to say and some of the the um, policies that he used to write for Trump and the speeches. I mean, you may as well. It may as well be a Klan meeting. Well, there were a lot of uh, a lot of D.C. Trump power brokers were there. Uh, I believe I got the pictures for that one from Sarah Huckabee Sanders Instagram page. She was she was pretty generous with that. But uh, then President Trump came back to speak at it. If I remember correctly, he was in Florida, was out of town, but came back 
in time Sunday night to go over there and give an address to his customers. And overall, I tallied eight Trump political appointees who celebrated their marriage at the D.C. hotel, either with the ceremony there or the reception. Yeah, I remember the D.C. one where it was a Republican event uh, put on by the RNC and um, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And I remember, you know, at that point, uh, I was sitting at my at my table and I should send it to you. It's a video. Nobody's Please. seen it, but it's a, it's it. a video of Donald of Donald praising me, you know, from the podium <laughs> up top. And it, it was really kind of funny. But, you know, let me switch gears for a quick sure. second and talk to you about some other stories that cross your beat in covering money and politics. Now, you've highlighted several congressmen and senators who either buy their own books or have donors purchase the books for them. What's the scam here that's going on? And do you think, is it an attempt to get these books on the bestsellers list or a way to funnel money to these individuals? Because like both Dan Crenshaw and Ted Cruz made a significant amount of money this way. Can you explain to my listeners what's going on with this? Sure. So you get a book deal. And now members of the House are not allowed to get advances. So it's a little bit tougher for them to make some good money off of this. But senators are and the the congressman can thank Newt Gingrich for that. Um, So you get the book deal. And then once the book comes out, usually what happens is their bulk purchases that would be made from the RNC. And if, if campaign, the FEC has ruled that if campaign funds are used, the candidate cannot profit from that purchase. That money, if any, if any royalties are received from that, it needs to be donated from charity. And what what Cruz did, which really stands out, was that in the six or seven weeks after his book came out, his campaign purchased one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of books retail. They did it at Books a Million. Now they won't tell me what book they purchased. I have asked them numerous times, um, and and they just keep saying, oh. It doesn't, um, you know, the, the, the congressman has not received any royalties from this. Well, he hasn't received any royalties because most likely he hasn't paid back his advance yet. Now, another way some of these congressmen are getting around it is they sign their book deal before they get sworn in. So in that sweet period after election and before you get sworn in, it seems like you can sign a deal. And we've seen that from, from several of these congresspeople, um, Dr. Ronnie Jackson being a recent one. Well, hold on. Forbes, who you actually write for, there's another um, reporter over there. It's like um, Silatia Ray. Um, He wrote a story about how the RNC spent more than $300,000 on Donald Trump Jr.'s book. I don't know if it was the first or the second book. Talk to me about that, because everybody's screaming about Joe Biden, um, about Hunter Biden, right? doing art and and so now that's not hidden the only thing that was going to be hidden were who the purchasers are and i don't know the reason why that should be hidden uh you know if somebody can tell me why look there was i believe a basquiat that was sold for like 120 million dollars through one of the major auction houses sotheby's christie's or whatnot uh or phillips and what i can turn around and tell you is that buyer did not want his name to be released for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't want it to become a target. He wants to be able to hang it on his wall as opposed to having to have a militia outside his house so someone doesn't come and steal a $120 million painting you know, off of his wall and hold them up. How is it possible then that the namesake to the president, and of course, let's not forget that you know this took place 
um, around the time that I think Donald was still um, president of the United States. It was um, in, in 2020. Um, how was something like this permitted? How can the RNC get away with doing that? And how is it possible that Don Jr. can then go ahead and profit and still come out and talk about how Hunter Biden is breaking the law? Well, how, how he can talk about other people after uh, his own behavior, I, I'll have to defer to him on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, the RNC bought a ton of his books and there were pictures of them in a warehouse. I think the New York Times ran one that was that was leaked to them of just a whole big pallet of his books sitting there. And I'd see them later on being given away to donors. And that's that's Ted Cruz right now said he's just saying books. He's not saying which one. But for 70 or a contribution of 77 bucks to his campaign, you can get an autographed copy of his book. So he essentially, if he did, in fact, buy his own book, bought a bunch of them retail, paid, you know, whatever, 25, 30 bucks from it and is now flipping it around, getting his campaign money back, plus some through the donations. I mean, for $77, if he really wanted to make a lot of money, you know, for $77, you could punch Ted Cruz once in the face. I, I guarantee you, you'd have a million people lining up, right, in order to, you know, to be on that line. I certainly would do it. I think <laughs> he's the most fucking despicable disgrace of a politician or i should say one of a mark meadows no better jim the you know jim jordan uh another one you know josh hawley and you know bobert and just all of them i mean mm -hmm. it's it's amazing to me on just how donald who used to claim that he was going to drain the swamp created a swamp of creatures not seen since like the paleozoic era <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's 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 absolutely the case. You know, Ted Cruz for his his book advance was three hundred twenty thousand dollars. So I mean, it sounds like he hasn't sold enough copies to pay it off yet, but that's pretty pretty solid money. And it's just you know, and it may have been you I heard say this, but one of the things that about Trump is that he did things out in the open, and as a result, you'd think it would be okay because previously that kind of thing was only done behind closed doors. Well, that's what happened at the hotel. I mean, it was just flat out open. Um, you know, on his inauguration, when he got out to on the parade, when he got out to walk, he did it right in front of the Trump Hotel D.C.'s entranceway on Pennsylvania Avenue. And there's a lot of speculation that was just a you know free marketing and a sign saying, like, here we are. You know, we're open for business. Right. But I want to get back to Don Jr. for a second. Okay. It blows me away that if you donated between 50 to to $100 that yeah. you got his book, which, of course, you know, he self-published because like his father – Nobody but he should make any money onto it. And if you self-publish, folks, obviously, you're not splitting it with anybody. There's no agent fee. There's no publisher fee. You know, they basically went around the whole Simon Schuster, right, um, extravaganza that goes mm -hmm. on there where they take a piece and so on. And basically, you know, you're able to buy it. I believe it was like through Amazon um, or to which the RNC had, you know, purchased a ton of it of their own. Right. And then the rest you were able to get. I mean, I just find the whole thing, of course, it's just a hypocrisy that he can be the first and the loudest in the room talking about Hunter Biden when, in fact, he, like his father, are openly violating laws. Because I believe there has to be for the RNC to, to buy it. All they were doing was shuffling money that they created from him going on the road and talking with NRA and a bunch of other, you know, Second Amendment right white supremacist groups 
And now they were funneling so that mm-hmm. he would have money so that he can go buy his Hampton house with um, whatever the heck his um, girlfriend's name is. Kimberly Guilfoyle. Yeah, I know. I just don't like to say it. <laughs> Sorry. It's like, Sorry. It's like, to, me, to me, it's like the name that shall not be mentioned, Voldemort. <laughs> well, I mean, with this she case. She looks a little I- like Voldemort, doesn't she? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to answer that one. Um, but, you know, in this case, and I, I, I'm not a lawyer. They'd have to just let you know whether they thought it was legal or not. I didn't see many people saying they didn't think it was legal, but it certainly seems unethical. But at the end of the day, as long as Don Jr. is okay with it, as long as Republican donors don't complain, there's nothing really going to stop them about it. Yeah, they're, they're not. Now, I do know that there were a whole series of FEC um, complaints that were made about mm-hmm. it. And, of course, we don't hear anything about what happened with those complaints. I would well, love it takes to know. years. But let me just... It, it takes it, years. Believe for the, me, takes, I know. I was just looking at a... Um, I think the FEC just this week resolved a complaint that Jeb Bush had filed against the Trump campaign for illegally using... Alleging they had illegally used... Uh, organization money for the campaign and it said we're five years later and the fec three three deadlock nothing happens let me ask you this then you highlighted a story recently from mother jones showcasing how two-thirds of all users joining extremist groups were doing so because facebook suggested it now larger story examines how the company refuses to stop the deluge of vaccine misinformation, election lies, propaganda, and other poison destroying the fabric of our nation. Mm-hmm. Now, they go on to say that it goes to the heart of its business model. Can you pa- unpack for my listeners what the hell they're talking about and what they need to know? Sure. It's, it's like one of those scenes from The Wire or you know, some crime show where the dealer gives you a little bit for free and then needs to keep stringing you along. So those algorithms, they keep getting stronger. You know, and YouTube's the same thing. If you're to look at, you know, you want to find out something about vegetarianism, it'll take you down that route. And then next thing you're going to vegan and you're going more extreme. Like, what if you're just interested in Islam? Well, it might just take you down a road 20 videos later that are recommended. That'll put you with ISIS stuff. And that's what the, that's what Facebook's doing. Honestly, is I've been reporting on this and so much of my time is spent looking on social media for posts i've curtailed my own like during the course of this reporting i've i've deleted my facebook account instagram all sorts of stuff because it it's just looks terrible and that's how they make their money you know they're not good they're a public company they're not going to do something that's against their own best financial interest yeah it's all about data mining right now which of mm-hmm. course is what jared you know and brad parscal used in mm-hmm. order to micro target you know individuals which right it was just truly um, it was something that had not been done, uh, you know, ever, I believe. And the way that they did it is just, again, it was um, over the top and probably unethical. But at one point, do we at, look, I mean, it's just it makes no sense. I'm going to give you a quick example. The other day I was looking, there was this food, it's called Muddy Bites. Have you ever have like a king no. cone, an ice cream cone? Yeah, Okay, yeah. you know king cone? Okay, yeah. the very bottom. You know, there's like a chocolate and so on. Yeah. These are only the very bottoms oh, of wow. the cones. They're really delicious. It's yeah, good. they come yeah. in milk and dark chocolate. Yeah, I love them. So I have one or two with a cup of coffee in the morning with breakfast, whatever. I punch it in because I wanted to buy it online. I didn't feel like going to a store because I'm really not allowed to under this home confinement thing. Within a second of putting it into... Um, you know, uh, online, I was already getting an email back from the company offering me 10% off if I, if I buy them. I mean, I have, they geo track you, which oh, yeah. is scary because people don't realize 
just how much information that they have on you. They know when you wake up. They know what you eat, what you drink. They know when you go to the bathroom, take a shower. They know everything. And then they're geotracking you off of GPS, and then they're sending you text messages when you pass a certain store. Hey, go into a Whole Foods and go pick up X, Y, and Z. It's, it's very scary that mm-hmm. we really have no privacy. But at what point do we say enough is enough? And do something about the fact that social media is the defining social weapon of our era. And it's being manipulated and abused to the point where millions of people have been sucked into its dangerous lies. I don't think anything's going to happen until Congress has reason to act based on the voters. I mean, obviously, they're getting a lot of money from from Facebook and, and Silicon Valley. But I really... People have shown you scandal after scandal after scandal. Be like, oh, this is going to break Facebook. And you see, oh, we're quitting Facebook. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter. Their revenue, you know, Cambridge Analytica, they had like record profits that that quarter. It just people are so addicted to it that they have a hard time getting off. And honestly, like not having a Facebook account does make it difficult sometimes. There are times I have to go reach out to somebody who has one and ask them to send me a photo or or look something up for me. So I really think until Congress acts on it, we're not going to see much of anything. Well, Does that fall into the same concept of too big to fail, like what happened during the, you know, the Lehman estate and um, all of the mortgage crisis? Do we need to go into some sort of a crisis where somebody who is a foreign adversary is now geo-tracking you because they've managed to hack into Facebook system or one of the other, you know, algorithmic companies I mean, what has to happen here before we end up holding people like Zuckerberg or um, Cambridge Analytica or whoever? When when do we hold them responsible and how? I, I would argue that we're already in crisis. If you just look at all the disinformation that's being spread around between QAnon, the anti-vaxxers, the COVID. I mean, just the other day, I was writing about a guy who, who was a big time anti-vaxxer, QAnon proponent. On January 5th, had called for executing governors and congressmen who didn't certify the results. And he died early this week from COVID. He had been traveling around the country, spreading his message. And while he was out there, got COVID and died. And there are just so many people are willing to believe what they see on Facebook. The press, people complain about the press and find it not believable. But, you know, it's it's, it's a better source out there most of the time than what some random guy on Facebook is going to tell you. But people are so swayed by what they see of somebody they know or somebody, you know, a friend of a friend, and they, and they go down that rabbit hole. Facebook is not a news source. It's not a news organization. You could post whatever you want. You could make the most legitimate looking, you know, magazine out there. Let's just call it the Zach Report, right? And you put some <laughs> fancy type like onto it. it that looks like mm-hmm. the New York Times. You like that, right? Trademark. Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, then you go ahead, you put it into the right type of font, like the New York mm-hmm. Times or Washington Post. And then you start putting out all of this disinformation about the coronavirus, about, you know, uh, conspiracy theories, because everybody seems to love a conspiracy theory. Right. The same way that they stop while you have gridlock, right? Um, or f- when you're driving down a highway and, you know, there's an accident. Everybody wants to see, you know, the, the damage. They want to see the mm-hmm. blood on the windshield. As they're driving by, that's exactly what's going on with Facebook. And I, I am baffled as to why people who are on it will absolutely, will actually believe what they're reading on Facebook. That's not what Facebook was originally designed for. Well, and I, 
disclaimer, this is not my regular reporting beat, but I, I certainly pay a ton of attention to it. There are real news articles on Facebook. Facebook is one of the biggest driver of traffic to one of my articles. There's, I did an article on Sarah Huckabee Sanders routing money to Trump via her gubernatorial campaign spending at Mar-a-Lago. And I believe the, the biggest source of traffic that got was Facebook. So if you see you know, the Zach report in between Forbes and the New York Times, it puts it all there on that screen for you. I mean, what I think media places would be wise to do would be if they could suck it up just to stop posting their stuff on Facebook. And don't let Facebook take advantage of their brands there. I think it would be a short-term hit, but I think over the long term, it would certainly help them financially. I certainly think it would help this country. But, you know, so much traffic comes from Facebook. You're going to have a hard time getting a public company to agree to that. Yeah, well, the problem, the difference, though, is that your reporting was accurate, right? right? What if your goal was to put out disinformation like what these Russian, Chinese, Iranian, you know, groups Mm -hmm. are doing, then you're basically screwed. But Zach, as I told you, the hour goes by fast. And so I have just one last question for you. What's ironic in all of this is how the right continues to talk about big tech censorship. But seven of the top 10 most visited Facebook pages belong to personalities like Ben Shapiro's organizations or Fox News and Newsmax, as well as conservative commentators like Dinesh D'Souza. So it's quite clear from the above that Facebook is nothing more than a place for your aunt to become brainwashed, right? Yeah, well, I watch a lot of college basketball back in the day, and Mike Shashevsky of Duke coach would always work the refs. He would work the refs nonstop, and it didn't matter that his team was getting all the calls anyways. Just kept doing it, and that's, that's exactly what we're seeing from the complaints about social media. Yeah, but how do you stop it? What do you do? And then again, why? Why then if seven of the top ten – I mean, again, seven mm-hmm. of the top 10 most visited Facebook pages belong to these to the to the right. They belong to, you know, Fox News and people who are making. Look, if you watch MSNBC, CNN, and then have a another television to the right of it with Fox News or Newsmax or OANN, you would think that you live in an alternate universe. Mm-hmm. You would think this is bizarro land. You would think that that this is that this is a completely different country. Now, somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. Now, there could be shades of gray in between, but there's still right and wrong. And let's just use as an example the coronavirus, the Delta variant, the whole issue of whether or not masks work. And we see this day in and day out with stupid, you know, governors um, like um, DeSantis in Florida, that now you have parents listening to the stupidity that started with Trump and worked its way down to this jerk off DeSantis where kids should not have to go to school with masks. But we're seeing now children being infected, getting Mm -hmm. sick and dying at a rate that we haven't seen before. This is all coming from Facebook and it's coming from the right. What can we do? Somebody has to be able to say to Facebook, you can't do this. I mean, there has to be some controls. We can't let them run amok and let Zuckerberg just completely make a decision. What's going to be posted and what's not. It's dangerous to our society. It's dangerous to our economy. It's dangerous to this world. 
No, I, I agree. And I, I've spent a lot of time looking at the, the right wing ecosystem on social media, looking for customers at Trump properties. And I get to see all these conspiracy things there. I was I was well versed in QAnon before a lot of other people, just because I there was a, a gathering of QAnon supporters at the Trump Hotel Fourth of July a few years ago. You know, and, until Congress steps up and does something or more people just quit and it hurts their bottom line. I don't see how anything's going to happen. I mean, we're just incredibly slow to move. And, you know, it's, it's you hear about like when the when the printing press first came out, it caused all sorts of problems because all of a sudden people could read all sorts of things and they were exposed to it and they weren't able to to handle this kind of thing. And, you know, they were used to getting all of their source information from the, the minister. And that's you know, it's great that you have diverse options now, but it allows stuff like, you know, the top hits on Facebook to be able to sp- spread all sorts of crap. Yeah, but again, when the printing press came out, it didn't put people's lives in jeopardy. It wasn't promoting, you know, disinformation by groups that Facebook, in my opinion, has an obligation to take down. You know, when you had allegedly all of these foreign groups interfering in the, whether it was 2016 or 2020 election, I think that Facebook has an obligation in order to update their system to ensure that the information that's on there is accurate. I don't think it should be a posting board for anything to be said, whatever you want. I just, again, I don't. I think that they have an obligation. But again, I just think they've become too big to fail. And I don't even know how, you know, Congress can regulate it without actually taking it down. And forcing them to sort of redesign the entire platform. The stock price keeps going up. You know, I don't think we'll, you know, at some point we might see the market come up with some other social media platform that's more friendly than Facebook and works a little bit better. I don't know. I think they have such a huge advantage right now because everybody just about is on Facebook. Um, Yeah, I I really think we're going to need the government to get involved in some capacity. And so far they've seen lukewarm to it. Yep, agreed. Well, Zach, let me thank you for joining me today on Mea Culpa. Let me thank you for your insight, for your incredible investigation reporting, uh, and keep it up, and definitely hope to see you. And I know for a fact I will be seeing you again relatively soon. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much. And now for today's Mea Culpa. I must admit that I am near constant rage when thinking about how much damage Donald Trump has done to this nation. I used to speak quite a bit about how my greatest fear was that someday there would come a smarter, slicker, more capable Donald Trump. A Donald Trump 2.0. What I did not anticipate was the degree to which Donald Trump would transform himself into an object of cult-like devotion and fervor for millions of MAGA followers. They have in turn unleashed a new generation of fascist pretty boy puppets like Madison Crawthorn and accused child sex trafficker Matt Gaetz, who claimed to be the advance army of the coming culture wars. What was once reduced to the fringes of the party and considered unthinkable to say in public has now become the heart of the GOP. Trump has conditioned the public to hear and say many terrible things as we continue to debase our political system by allowing these people a prominent perch in our culture. Those who push back are said to be engaging in cancel culture or have been sensitized through woke brainwashing. 
We are sneered at by Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert about how we were wrong and demented and evil. It's just all too much to comprehend. Where did these people come from and when did they get so fucking crazy? Everyone I know has a friend they've lost to the internet and QAnon and conspiracy thinking. It's fucking weird. Then I remember that there are hundreds of thousands of these fucking people all over the country and it boggles my mind how they can be the way they are and think the way that they do. I know they're saying the same about me and you, but the difference is that what we believe is actually sane and moral while their version of reality is belied with lies and conspiracy. It's a fucking nightmare from which I cannot awake. Let's hope something breaks the spell soon. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa. Nothing but the truth. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more, all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. <laughs> <laughs>